Awesome. Good morning. All my pens at home say Revolution Church. <laughs> That's right. I'm stealing them all, so feel free to take a bunch. <laughs> there you go. It's recorded. Ah, oh, it's awesome to be here. Today is Palm Sunday. Yeah, next week we are going to celebrate. Next week we are going to party. It is a celebration of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. Victory over sin, our champion, Jesus who goes before us. And we are seated in Christ. We're going to focus a lot next week on our lives in Christ, on who we are in Christ, on whose we are, and what he did for us. It's going to be, it's going to be good. We're going to have baptisms. But today is not Easter Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. And we're going to prepare today for next week. And we're going to go through a little bit of scripture here, just like the road of Jesus, the way to the cross. He entered Jerusalem Palm Sunday, and he said some things and he did some things that are important for us to ponder as we move towards Easter Sunday and his resurrection. Amen? Amen. Today is a day of, uh, of reflection, of looking at the word, of preparing, preparation. And that's what the, historically the church has used Palm Sunday for that. And I've gone through a lot of, I've, I've been a Christian a while, and there's a lot of Palm Sunday sermons in my head. Um, this, is, this is one, we're just going to follow the text. So Lord, we just thank you for this time this morning. We just honor your word, God. We honor your word. Have your way in us. Amen. Amen. Let's take a look at the, the attitude of Jesus as he prepares himself for the cross. The same week Jesus was crucified, he entered Jerusalem. News about him preceded his entry. Even though he'd been there before, this time he came just after he rose Lazarus from the dead. He rose someone from the dead. They had a big feast in his honor. And the people who were at the feast, they preceded him into Jerusalem. And they told people, come on out, this guy's coming. Look what he did. And Lazarus was dead. It wasn't like Lazarus was, was you know, he had, he, had, he had too much water at the beach and CPR or whatever. Lazarus was four days dead. And Jesus raised him from the dead. And the word spread. And people came out. Well, hallelujah. He was dead. There was a wave of notoriety. And most Bibles subtitled this event, The Triumphal Entry. You'll see that in your Bible, especially if it's NIV. They all say, all four Gospels, the triumphal entry. People knew there was something going on. And he enters Jerusalem, the city of David, and the center of the Jewish faith. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, palm branches signify victory. When a conquering king, especially in the Near East at that time, when a conquering king would enter a city, they would lay down coats 
They would grab their coats and they'd say, he's coming, he's coming, he's conquering king. He's going to take this place over. He's going to, we're going to establish him. We're going to welcome him well. We're going to roll out the red carpet. And they would take palm branches and they would take their coats ahead of the king saying, come on in, be the king. And you could just see the, the crowd as they're preparing for Jesus. They're all lined up and they're waiting for him. And like, did you hear about Lazarus? Lazarus was dead. He was dead and now he's alive. Grab your coats, more coats. More coats. Let's praise this guy. He's coming. More coats. Palm branches. Kids, palm branches. And they laid it out and Jesus entered. And they shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. And the people were preparing for the Passover. And they shouted out, Hosanna. Psalm 113 to 118. Most kids memorize this. Jewish kids at the time. And it's called the Halal. And they would memorize it. And they shouted, Hosanna, save us. And they remember the Passover. When God set them free, he brought them out of Egypt, and they were preparing for that. The, Egypt, or the Israelites were brutally oppressed by the Egyptians in Israel. They cried out to God, and God delivered them. In this time, they were brutally oppressed by the Romans. And there's the Roman Empire in Jesus' time. The Roman Empire was strong. It was large. The people were oppressed by the Romans. And here comes this king raising someone from the dead, and they're preparing to greet him. Come on in, Jesus. Save us from the oppression. He's doing it again. They put two and two together, it came up four. He's coming. Let's prepare ourselves. Let's prepare. Let's welcome him in. And the Romans were brutal occupiers. I mean, crucifixions were a regular event in that place. There was a thief beside Jesus on the cross, a thief crucified, and many others crucified. If you've ever seen Spartacus, you'll see the road coming out of Jerusalem with the crucifixions. And that happened at some times. When there, was a, when there was a rise up against the Romans, they just crucify all the people, just so everyone else can see. This is what happens if you, if you rise up against us. And the people still in the midst of it called out, King, come King, Jesus. And previously, Jesus would not allow the people to make him king. He said he would not entrust himself, himself to them. But this time he allowed it. He didn't silence them. Why? Because he came to fulfill the scripture. He came to fulfill Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew the scriptures, he knew the prophecies. He knew that they had knew these things, they knew these things as well. He did not silence them because he was a king. And he was entering the city of David. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, they went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the time, they said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now the Pharisees were those religious rulers, and they had, they had a lot of directives and control over the people. They said, look, this is getting us nowhere. And what is this? This is what they were trying to do, challenging Jesus. He would trip them up in their words. He would, they would stumble. They couldn't, they couldn't capture him. They couldn't grab him. They couldn't, they couldn't get the people to believe 
that he was a fraud. So they, they were doing nothing of substance. They needed to do something to maintain control. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but the proud also oppose God. The people came out because Lazarus was raised from the dead. And the Pharisees, were, they didn't even question that. They had to maintain control. Proud. Within this same week, this crowd who was cheering and rejoicing for Jesus, come on in, Jesus. When he entered Jerusalem, they were yelling, crucify him. When he was presented before them, less than a week later, the Pharisees stirring the crowd up, and the people turned on him, and they shouted, crucify him. He knew what was in the heart of man. Jesus knew. They expected him to overthrow the Romans. They expected him to do what had been done before, which was a picture of salvation spiritually. Their eyes were on the temporal, though. Their eyes were on their circumstances. What's going on right now? Jesus, come on in. Deal with this. Deal with our circumstances. But his eyes were on the eternal. They expected him to save his people from oppression again to be the king of Israel and lead them to victory. But he came to fulfill a much greater purpose. He was looking at God's plan for him. Complete submission to the Father's will. And he knew what was coming this coming week. He spoke about it. Before entering Jerusalem and during this week, he spoke about his death on the cross. He could have grumbled. He could have complained. He could have called down legions of angels, and he could have sorted out the Romans and the Pharisees. He could have sorted it all out, but he didn't do that. Because that was his mission. His mission was paramount. What is the will of the Father? He went through the trials. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The mission of God carried out by Jesus Christ. His eyes were on the Father. Mark 10, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life, to give his life as a ransom for many. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to fulfill a mission. The mission was God's plan of salvation. Jesus discerned his Father's will. That was his mission. And he only did the things he saw his Father doing. Now the crowds were cheering him. Did you hear about Lazarus? This guy must really be spiritual. I've seen spiritual people, but he raised this guy from the dead. He must really be spiritual. Let's praise him. He keeps his eyes on the Father's will. Despite all the praise, despite all the accolades, Jesus walks through. He, go, he does the Father's will alone. It's time to enter Jerusalem. And the Son of God, God's Son, who through everything was made, everything was made through Jesus, he gets on a donkey of all things, of all animals. I can guarantee you that every single other triumphal entry of a king did not involve a donkey. When you're entering as a triumphant king, you have a stallion, you have a war horse, you have a chariot, you have people carrying you. You don't enter on a donkey, a lowly donkey. 
And all the Gospels make specific mention, all four, make mention of the donkey and how important that is. And they all reference back to Zechariah chapter 9. Because it was written that he would enter on a donkey. And Jesus was completely humble to the Father's will. He humbled himself to enter Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. It's an example for us. He humbled himself. His whole life was one of humility. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Jesus did many things, humble, complete humility to the Father's will. Are there any areas where it's a no-go for you if God were to call you? I have some. God will challenge those things. Jesus humbled himself to the Father's will. Later in the week, the crowds turn on him. His friends abandon him. Peter disowns him three times. One of his disciples who was there from the beginning of his ministry disowns him three times. But Jesus endures. He endures hostility and scorn from sinful men because he keeps his eyes on the Father's will. Not my will, but yours be done. He prayed it, he meant it, he did it. God's will be done in his life. The people cheered for him when they thought he was there to meet their needs. That crowd, he was here to meet their needs. He was a means to their end in their eyes. But Jesus did not come to overthrow the Romans. He was sent for a much greater purpose, to overcome the power of sin and death. Sometimes we are much more concerned about our difficult circumstances than I think God is and what we go through. And we pray, and God, deal with these things. These are, these are things, Lord. They're things in the way. And we go to God to, as a means to our end. Jesus never overthrew the Romans. Even when he was re- resurrected, he didn't overthrow the Romans. He came for a much greater purpose, keeping his eyes on the Father's will. And he calls us to go through the valley of the shadow of death, not around it. We go through things as Christians. And he is always with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will go through those things with us. But sometimes we have these lists of, if only, God, you, you, you did these things. If only, Lord, you took care of the Romans. If only you, you, we had a different political party in power, Lord. Then things would change. God's not as concerned about the circumstances of those things. He knows we have trials and tribulations. Jesus kept his eyes on the Father's will. First and foremost, he didn't put those things above. And he shows us the way. The only way to give God glory. Let's continue in John 12. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if, if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. 
He's talking about himself. Jesus laying down his life. And then he turns it and he calls the people, anyone, everyone who loves their life will lose it. Now it's not just him, he's talking to us. Anyone who loves their life in this world will lose it. While everyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's not pulling any punches. And Jesus didn't pull punches. And as we prepare for Easter next week, let's take the punches that Jesus gives here. He's being serious. Hate your life in this world. This is countercultural to every advertisement that's out there right now, where it's about love your life, love your worldly life, love your life in this world, find out how to, how to love the, the worldly ways of thinking. Right? And it seeps into our, our worldview as Christians. We have to be aware of that. Jesus says, turn from those things. The trappings of this world, the ways of this world, all that which has fallen, all that which would distract you away from God and the will of God, hate those things. Jesus says anyone who hates their worldly life will keep it for eternal life. This is what it means to follow Jesus. He doubles down again in Luke 9. Then Jesus said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Who wants to be a disciple? Jesus gathers his buddies around. Who wants to be a disciple? There's some hands went up. Okay, there's a few disciples here. Directives to disciples. Anyone, whoever wants to be my disciple, must. What do we do? What do we do? Deny ourselves. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, whoever, must deny themselves. The self, the flesh, our will, our ambitions, our goals, our wants, those things we pine for. If you're a planner, you've got your 5, your 10, your 15-year plan for your life. I work, I work in the corporate world. People have their corporate plans to lead up to retirement and then beyond. And beyond is murky, because who knows what you're going to do when you retire. But when you're done that job, man, you are your CEO. You've got your plan leading up to that. God says, if you have those things, submit all those things. Deny yourself. Be ready to give up everything for Jesus. Be ready to deny yourself. And what do we take up? We take up the cross every day. This, this whole week preparing for Easter is the way to the cross. And there's no other way to deny ourselves but through the cross of Jesus Christ. And you might ask, didn't he take up the cross? Didn't Jesus get nailed to the cross if I don't have to? He died so that we can take up our cross. He died so that we can have victory over ourselves, so that we can deny ourselves and live for Christ Jesus. We, where he is, we follow. Where he goes, we go. He died on the cross, we died in him. That's a point and that's a process for each one of us. Death precedes life. There's a Tozer quote. In every Christian's heart, there is a throne and a cross. And the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. We have a choice to make. 
Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple, there were some hands here. And really, we all put our hands up in a way. I know. He said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, submit your life to me, and follow me. Whatever it looks like. That's Jesus' words. We can't skip that over and jump to Easter. He spoke things this week that matter. The week before his crucifixion, the week before he rose from the dead, that we have to take seriously to follow him. And he calls us to follow. Acts chapter 5, Peter and John, they were beaten for sharing the gospel. And they walked away praising God that they were able to suffer like Jesus did. Suffer for his name. That morning they took up their cross. And they followed Jesus. They were told, do not preach the gospel. But they took up the cross and said, God, we're going to do what you want us to do. They preached the gospel. They were beaten. They walked away joyful because they'd given up their lives. They'd given up their lives. Paul and Silas in jail, Acts chapter 16, singing songs, feet in the stalks, hands clasped, who knows what else. Singing songs of joy because they were in the Father's will. They had submitted their will to God's will. Some of you might recognize this man, C.T. Studd. Great biography by a guy named Norman Grubb on C.T. Studd. Late 1800s, he was a cricket player. And actually, that picture on the right is from his ESPN profile as a cricket player for England. He was one of the best in the world, apparently, for his stats and his trajectory. His brother got sick, and he almost died. C.T. Studd was a backslidden Christian. At the time, his brother got sick, he almost died, and, and C.T. Studd, he was like the Wayne Gretzky of the time of cricket in England. Speaking to Canadians for all you South Africans. He's like the Wayne Gretzky. He gave away his inheritance. He, he was rich, he was from a wealthy family, he had a trajectory to make money. He was going to make money. He gave it all up. Gave it all his inheritance away, and he decided to leave all the riches behind to become a missionary in China and Africa, felt God call him to lay down his life, lay down his future, give it all up, and walk away. And he said, he wrote in poems, and one, one has this line, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As Nick said last week, we all vary in many ways, but no one has more time than the next person. We all have time. I don't have more than you. I don't have less than you. I don't know how much I have left. We might vary in many ways, but we all have decisions to make in this life. Are we going to submit our lives to the Lord? Or are we going to go our way? And then God's going to... He'll take some time, but he'll bring us back to the same decision again. Do we submit ourselves? Do we get on the cross? At the end of his life, C.T. Studd said, I know... The cricket would not last, and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. Nothing will last. Maybe God calls you to sport. I'm not putting down sport here, but God called him away from it, and he just laid it down and left. Maybe God's calling you to sport. That's going to take a sacrifice. You lay down everything else you thought you were going to do, you go for that. But it's really, it's about God's will. Submitting our will to the fathers. Betty Stamm. John and Betty Stamm. Chris, she was a poet. 
and they were both missionaries in China. She wrote this prayer in her journal at 17 years old. Lord, I give up my own plans and purposes, all my own desires, my hopes and ambitions, and I accept thy will for my life. I give up myself, my life, my all, utterly to be thee, to be thine forever. I hand over to thy keeping all my friendships. All the people whom I love are to take second place in my heart. Fill me now and seal me with thy spirit. Work out thy whole will in my life at any cost. For to me to live is Christ. Amen. Ten years later, she and her husband were killed in a town square while being missionaries. They had a young baby. Baby was rescued. They were killed for, for sharing the gospel. And on her gravestone, which still stands there apparently, it's inscribed, for me to live as, for me to live as Christ and to die as Cain. She loved the Lord, Betty Stam, John and Betty. They loved the Lord and they died being missionaries, but they had given up their lives long before. They had decided to, to die to the, with their will, their desires, to submit their lives to the Lord, to follow him wherever he was going to lead them. And upon the sacrifice of, of her and many others, whether they were martyred for Christ or not, and there's many people who've been missionaries in their hometowns, living for Christ wherever you are or going somewhere else. But if we lay our lives down, we will bear much fruit. That seed that dies will produce many seeds. It will, if we submit our lives to the Lord. And we're seeing the results in China today from her and others who've gone there. I heard this week on a podcast, within a generation, it's estimated there will be more Christians in China than anywhere else in the world, which is amazing, the growth, the speed at which the, the Christian church is growing in China through oppression, through lockdown, through crackdowns on, on religion, on Christianity. It's growing because people are laying their lives down and they're producing seeds, many seeds. Next week, we are going to celebrate the greatest event in all of history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lewis is going to have a good lineup of songs. I know you're going to get up to play, but in a second. We're going to sing songs. We're going to celebrate. We're going to sing about joy and victory, power and new life. But as Jesus states in John chapter 12, death precedes life. His death, burial and resurrection, and our death in him, our burial and our resurrection and new life. Where he goes, we must follow. And there is a death to self he's calling each one of us to. To finish off this passage, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. This is why I came. Father, glorify your name. We all have decisions to make, daily decisions and big decisions in our lives. If it's hard to make those decisions, you're in good company. Jesus' soul was troubled making these decisions. He knew what was coming. 
And he didn't ask to be saved from his circumstances. He didn't, he didn't say, God, come in and, and deal with this. He went through it. Because that's what God called him to. And that's who he laid his life down for. He didn't run from the fire. He had his priorities right. The will of God, and I submit my will to the Father's will. Not my will, but yours be done. We, we pray the Lord's Prayer, we sing the songs. Do we live the life? Not my will, but yours be done. At some point, that gets practical. At some point, that gets to a, a decision where God's will is here and you know it, and your will is here. At some point in our lives, we have to decide. God's going to challenge us. He's going to challenge you. Maybe he's doing that right now. Maybe you're ignoring the call of God. But at some point, we have to decide, Lord, your will be done. And then the next day, decide, Lord, your will be done. And then the next, will, the next day, decide, God's will be done with our lives. And God's will is not misery. We're going to get into more of that next week. He promises us righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we are seated in him in heavenly places. It's not misery that he promises us, but it is trouble, and it's hardship, and it's dying to self. And there's a, there's a, Jesus was troubled. We can be troubled. Many of you have moved here to Vancouver from other places. You gave up things. You gave up futures. You gave up family. You gave up relationships. You gave up money or wealth. God says he will honor those who follow Jesus. And for those of us that live here or were born here or moved here from nearby, God will honor those who follow Jesus. You don't have to move across the world to do that. You can sprout where you're planted, right here, right now. Maybe you're here this morning and you have a decision to make. Maybe it's time to get back on the cross. Maybe it's time to, in your heart, you know there's a throne and a cross. And you've, you've made a decision for God. You follow Jesus. It's been busy, this life. Things have gotten in there. And you, you're, you're, it's kind of murky sometimes, your relationship with God. There are other things in the way, other priorities. Maybe when you were saved, you are on fire. God was number one. And his will was being done through your life. And you look back on those days fondly. But now it's different. And you find that sometimes when you go to pray, you pray to God as a means to your end. Lord, I have things. Come deal with my things. God wants us to take this week again. Take today. Take now to make a decision. Say, no, Lord, your will be done. May your will be done for my life. Let's prepare ourselves for Easter. Let's prepare ourselves this week. This is a reflective week. Jesus is asking us to take a moment and reflect. Take up your cross, deny yourselves, and follow him. As Lewis is going to play here, he's going to play another song just to finish off. And if this is speaking to you today, and it's speaking to me, and I did while I was preparing, because the words of Jesus are, the red letters are speaking loudly this week, and those words are important. If it's speaking to you this morning, I do encourage you to come forward if, God, if you feel like, okay, God, it's just been murky, and Lord, I want to get things straightened out. I want to get things straightened out. I encourage you to come forward. And if that's too difficult for you, Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. 
He, he humbled himself. I encourage you to take a step out. That is a step of faith to come and say, Lord, you are Lord. You are my Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. Pray it through to God. Pray it through to God this morning. And if you're here this morning and you've never laid down your life for the Lord, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if the Holy Spirit hasn't spoken to your spirit and said you're saved, and He does that, we don't, I encourage you to come. To come and to lay your life down for Jesus Christ because He is worthy of our lives. He is our Savior. He saves us from the penalty of sin and death. He alone can. There's no other way but through the cross of Jesus Christ. Please stand with me. I'm just going to pray. And then come on down. Come on down. If you feel like that's tugging, don't wait for the next person beside you. Just come on down as Lewis plays. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for the word of God that is perfect and is good Lord, your word is awesome. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we choose this morning to put you first. Lord, to seek first the kingdom, to get ourselves sorted, Lord, to get our priorities right. We can all die to self. All of us. It doesn't matter what circumstances we're in, Lord. You call us all afresh this time. Lord, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.